Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of the Pilgrims Podcast. My name's Archie and joining me today is Mark Lovell, Tom Kirk, Chris Allen and Plymouth Argyle Chairman Simon Hallett. Simon, good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. It's great to have you on. First time listener? First time listener or have you listened before? I think I've listened to most of them. Yeah, (laughs) I've... uh... Yeah, I think I've listened to most of them, and I've obviously listened to most of you quite a lot outside the podcast. So, be interesting to see how it works uh, in a more formal environment. So, how, how many things have we got wrong over the last six months? I think actually you do a nice job of getting it right. Actually, I think I was joking to Jane the other day that it's almost as if some of you know me. <laughs> so, uh, your um, relationship, if that's the right word, with podcasts is an interesting one, Simon. I was listening to a few of the ones you've been on, and you've been on a lot. But the one that stuck out to me was a Men in Blazers one. And you were listening pre-Argyle days. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. It got you so inspired that you ended up making that phone call to Argyle and getting involved. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that podcast, I think, was um, soon after I'd become become a shareholder uh, eight years ago. And there there was – so for people who don't know, Men in Blazers is an NBC-produced – podcast by a couple of Englishmen that focuses on the Premier League and uh, I, I used to listen and there were interviews that they did with people like Barry Hearn, formerly of Leighton Orient, Steve Parrish from Crystal Palace and oh, I've forgotten his name, Jeff Mostyn is it, from Bournemouth mm. who were talking about you know buying stakes in football club, how to run football clubs and so on and I thought it all sounded very interesting. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine coming back from Manhattan, actually, uh, one of my business partners. And um, we'd been talking briefly as sports fans about the possibility of buying a main minor league baseball team. And he said, well, why don't you buy that football club you've always been banging on about? So I did. <laughs> but the Men in Blazers podcast was definitely part of the uh, decision process, if I could, may call what was uh, a <laughs> rather spontaneous act. Yeah. A process. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you offered that up because you you mentioned that it was a really kind of emotional decision at first, and then obviously you've still clearly got the passion for it. But it, it's far from a passion project, isn't it? You run it like a business. You say it's not a business, but you run it in a business like uh, way. Yeah, I think I was very clear about that when I first got involved. I think it was on a Pasotti Q and A actually that I said, you know, that we would try to run it in a business-like way, mm. but football isn't a normal business and you can't use the usual criteria for, you know, spending or investment in in football. But to be business-like, I meant that we'd be, you know, disciplined, structured. We'd increasingly use proper decision-making processes to make everyday decisions as well as the bigger ones. But trust me, it's still a passion project. You can be, bus- you can be passionate about your business. And I, what's really made me get sucked further and further into Argyle wasn't so much the passion for Argyle, which has always been there, obviously, but it was the kind of delight I took that becoming more structured, more disciplined, better at making decisions actually had results on the pitch, Mm. which uh, was completely contrary to football mantra. And it's just been wonderful proving people wrong. (laughs) Uh, Forgive me as I skipped a few few years here, because a lot happened when you weren't a chairman, but your first year as chairman didn't exactly go to plan did it we obviously ended up getting relegated and I'm interested to know as our you know post Scunthorpe that really dramatic day are you thinking crikey (laughs) what have I done here or this wasn't as easy as expected 
Um, I, well, I never thought it would be easy. Mm. Um, it was a very difficult time, but there was definitely a feeling that it would be a fresh start. And I think that's exactly how it happened. So I became chairman or I became majority owner, but didn't become chairman. And somebody else was going to become the chairman rather than have the majority owner, you know, be absent in the United States. Right. And he, for personal reasons, he, it was David Felwick, who, who's still a friend of mine. He had to pull out the last minute for personal reasons. So I did become chairman. Interestingly, James carried on on the board and James and I always got on well. We continued to get on well. But James said at one point, you obviously want to do things rather differently from me. And I'm just going to be a pest on the board if you and I are disagreeing the whole time. I mean, you know, in a friendly way, but basic, basic disagreements. Mm. Um, you know, why don't you just buy me out and become chairman yourself? So the relegation was coincident with me, with James leaving and no disrespect to James. I, you know, I'm on, I'm on the side of those who say there wouldn't be a club without him. And he did a good job with limited resources. But when he completely went and we got relegated, it really was a feeling of a fresh start. Mm. And, you know, the board embarked on really seriously becoming values driven and we became much more detailed about what we were going to do so i mean that's that's, that's so, sorry that's an incredible just to stop you there there's an incredible moment that you were nearly not argyle chairman i mean it's incredible to think now you yeah. say it was at the last yeah. minute that it was 99 yeah. percent done that he was going to take the role yeah and that's incredible yeah well, it was 100% done that he was going to take the role. Right. I mean, I went with, I remember going with David into the dressing room to the day, first match, first time, and until <laughs> last season, the f last time I'd been in the dressing room, we would just as, you know, introduce ourselves to the players. Um, we lost that game 5 1 against Peterborough, by the way. <laughs> um, and, you know, a couple of days later, David said, No, I'm sorry, I can't do it. But so there was definitely a sense of a fresh start. We'd appointed Andrew um, to be our CEO. So Andrew will always remind anybody who wants to listen that he became the CEO the day after we got relegated. So he's only had promotions on his resume. Hmm. Um, and, you know, so it was a new CEO. It was a new chairman. It was a new division. It was a new kind of strategy. And with hindsight, it was the best thing that could have happened to us because we were able to be successful on the pitch in Division 2 or League 2 while we were making quite a lot of changes at the club. Right. And if we made all those changes at the club whilst losing on the pitch, people would have inferred causality, as people tend to, and they just said, what are they doing? They're making all these changes and it's proving disastrous. Uh, whereas we were able, and of course the two are not, associated in the short term at all but we were able to make the changes in the club that we felt were necessary mm. while still winning so with the support of the fans but that first year um with andrew as ceo well we changed the ceo we changed the manager assistant manager goalkeeper coach physiotherapist we changed the chef we changed the groundsman you know and so on and so on it, it really was um a new set of people running the club after I'd been in place as chairman for about a year, but really um, accelerating after Andrew became CEO. That just sounded, that just sounded like January that you just described. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, but but it's 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 interesting. I, I wrote about this in the chairman's chat at the end of December. Argyle is now an institution. 
no one person, including me, is vital for the success of that institution. So Shuey left. You know, we're very, very sorry that Shuey left, obviously. We weren't expecting it, but we had in place a process to hire the new guy. And two and a half weeks later, or whatever it was, we had a new guy. And, you know, if 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 Goldman Sachs uses, uh, loses a bond trader, they go and get a new one. And Goldman Sachs carries on. Um, I don't know why I pick on Goldman Sachs, but, you know, there you go. If Argyle lose a manager, we go and get a new one. If Argyle lose a chairman, we go and get a new one. If Argyle lose a chef, we go and get a new one. Um, it was very busy at the club, but I don't think it was turmoil. We we handled it very well because we we're a well-run club. You know that. You know, early on in the transfer window, we lost. You know, Finn and I think Luke Luke Hundle went, but it was always going to be the case that we were going to get people in. Mm. You know, it's absolutely not the kind of chaos that the fans fans would like to think. Tom, you look Any, good. Yeah, or just anybody else here that the chef's going to go to Stoke? I think Jack, Jack Jack's very happy where good, he is. <laughs> Simon, I, I saw you just before you jetted back. What happened thereafter? Uh, okay, so remind me of the time. That was about December 13th, and Shuey was in charge at QPR... And then we played Rotherham. Rotherham. Rotherham on the Saturday, and Shuey was gone by Monday. So, from memory, and you know my views about memory, that all our memories are 40. Mm-hmm. As I've said before, I know, I know the lyrics to all the Beatles songs, but I don't know where my car keys are. <laughs> um, Rotherham approached us, as, not, not Rotherham, Stoke approached us and said we wanted to talk to Shuey. We asked them to postpone it for a few days so that we could get a couple of matches out of the way, a couple of important matches out of the way. Uh, they spoke to Shuey, I think, on the Sunday, and he said he was going to go on the Monday. So, boom. It was, it was very, very quick, mm-hmm. um, if that's that's what you're trying to get at. Um, but, you know, there was, not, there was no kind of long-term conspiring, no nothing. It was, can we talk to him? Yes, you can. I'd like to go. So they approached approached uh, Schumacher before the Rotherham game and after the QPR game and the helicopter trip would have been... No, I th- I think they approached us and said we'd like, again, pardon me if I got this wrong, I'm sure Andrew will tell me I got it all wrong or Zach will. Um, I think they'd approached us and said we'd like to talk to your manager and we said please would you leave it till after the Rotherham game. So that I don't know if that helicopter story is true. Mm. Um, but they, I think, approached him on the Sunday and he obviously thought about it, spoke to people he wants to speak to and called me on the Monday to say he was going. Were you expecting a little bit more deliberation? Look, you never quite know how much deliberation goes on beforehand. I mean, you know, clubs are required by regulation to seek permission to approach players and managers, coaches who are, um, contracted, um, you know, you have to seek permission, but I'm sure agents talk to each other and there's all sorts of unofficial. So he probably, he probably had some more time to think about it, but, um, I was still surprised at the speed, but I shouldn't have been because it was almost exactly the same speed with which, uh, Ryan mm. took the Preston. Simon, Preston you're speaking about it with great, uh, maturity. If you've listened, listened to any of our pods since the Rotherham game, it's something we've, well, let's say I've possibly struggled with because I, as an avid fan, someone that does a podcast for a hobby, 
I felt betrayed. I don't know how, yeah. I don't know how you do it. Um, well, I'm not saying that I didn't feel betrayed. Mm. Um, you know, I think we've been very good to Shui. I betrayed is a very strong word, you know, um, mm. did I feel let down? Yeah. You know, I had a few pints with Shui in the dolphin about 10 days before he called to say we were leaving, you know, it's like a Wednesday night. There's no game. Let's have a beer. Mm. So we had a couple of beers in the dolphin and, you know, I've obviously talked about football and the long-term plans and other stuff. Um, you know, Shui, Shui, Shui and his wife know my family. So, you know, we were, I kind of thought we were friends and I went on a horrible fairground ride with Shui's kids because he was too scared to do it. <laughs> so to have it come out of the blue like that, I felt, I felt a little bit let, let down, but I'm afraid that's the way it works in football. Mm. Yeah, that's quite a breakdown in relationship when the story was going around that Stephen Schumacher and Mark Hughes weren't allowed back into the ground to you know, say goodbye or collect their, empty their locker. Yeah. I don't know what the truth of that. I, th I think it is true. I mean, this was not a friendly, oh yeah, this guy's given us three months notice. Let's do everything we can to help him. This was, this guy's left us in the lurch just before the busiest time of the season when we're in a relegation scrap. We're not going to cooperate with him. I, I, Shui has a cell phone. He can call people, um, but you know, we'll send him his stuff. I mean, I don't want to sound too harsh. No. Shui and I, Shui, I'll be back on good terms with Shui one day, but I, I hope. I mean, I don't see, think he's got any reason to be bitter towards me. I'm back on reasonable terms with Brian now. But um, hmm. I don't think we were going to cooperate with him or give him the opportunity. To, he was taking himself away. Surely he would have wanted to take away our data and so on. He was taking our coaches away. I know it's not just petty vengeance. This is protecting our proprietary information. No, no, I understand. I, I think for me, it, it was, there was a real sadness about it. And ironically, we actually recorded a bit about two to three weeks. I mean, edited out thinking it was irrelevant about Schumacher's two year anniversary. And we're all, it was big mm. loving. And we thought no one was going to want to hear this. So we cut it out. But we did say in it, we think that he has the, hopefully he has the know, knowabouts to leave on good terms and leave, yeah, leave a legend yeah. if you want, or leave leave with your status intact. And that, and that's why yeah. I, I can't. Maybe maybe it's just naivety. I kidded to myself that that would be the reality. Yeah. He would leave with a hero's yeah. goodbye, and it would be okay. That, that yeah, you and I are both guilty of naivety. I think Archie. That's exactly what I would have hoped. And I, you know, we talked about this, Shu and I, over the year, over the couple of years. You know, four years that I knew him. We all knew that if ever he got offered the Everton job, he was going. And God bless him. Boyhood dream achieved. Um, and he would go as a hero. And, you know, Shui was the kind of guy who could have been around while we built Argyle. Well, he has been around while we built Argyle to where it is today mm. and could have been around when we, you know, built it even further. You know, all this stuff, you know, I think I joked to somebody, only half joking, if Shui ever lost the dressing room, we changed the dressing room. <laughs> you know, Shui was terrific for us. And, and by the way, you know, our last three managers have been fantastic for us in different environments. You know, um, I know you had that long interview with Derek. You know, Derek was very good for us at the time. Mm. Um, obviously didn't leave, left in a different way from Shui and Ryan. Ryan, I think would not have been as good for us long-term as Shuey would have been. But 
at the time he was perfect, absolutely perfect. You know, Ryan's extrovert nature, his relationship with the fans, his enthusiasm restored the relationship between the club and the fan base that had kind of deteriorated mm. in the previous year or so. Why do you think? And so, sorry, why do you think it wouldn't have? Why do you think that that two years or just over two years, I think it was, was the perfect amount of time then for Ryan Lowe? Well, because he rest- restored it and then he left. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think Shuey, Shuey should have been a, a, a manager for a very long time at Argyle. Mm. You know, it's a shame. It's, it's, I still think it's a shame that he decided to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll see. I hope it works out for him. But, you know, as it happens, we've now got Fozzie. Yeah. And I think Fozzie's got the potential to be, you know, every bit as good as Stephen would have been. He's probably more advanced in his career. Yeah. Than uh, than Stephen Stephen was. Um, Sam, there's one more thing I'd like to ask you about this that Schumacher departure, and I really appreciate your honesty thus far because you didn't you don't have to be that honest. How and you've been you we started off with you saying it's still a passion project. You corrected me, it's still a passion project, but you're obviously you know crucially important position at Argyle. How when these moments happen, or a Burton at home, these moments of high emotion, Burton Schumacher leaving. How are you able to keep continue doing being carry out your role as chairman when well, you're having those, well, those extremes? For, well, se- se- several things. I mean, at the kind of emotional level, I'm in the investment business. You get smacked in the head frequently. There's always stuff going wrong, mm-hmm. and really serious stuff going wrong. Not not football, not sport. Uh, you know, people's livelihoods. Mm-hmm. You know, so our business has fallen in half four times in the last twenty five years. <clears throat> it's just done so. And you, so you learn to live, live with adversity and surprising things happen. The second thing is, you know, don't focus on me. I'm not as important as you think. Um, I'm the chairman of the board and I've been, I've been a really good chairman. I mean, I, I'm very proud of what, what, mm-hmm. what, of my role, but I'm the chairman of a very good board and I'm the chairman of a club with a very good board and a very good governance structure. And, you know, people just don't believe this. But, you know, I don't know what's going on at the club on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Um, and I have no need to know. Mm. Um, you know, I have the occasional chat with, you know, Neil or Fozzy or something like that. I spoke to Fozzy this week for the first time since um, the day of his first game against Sutton. I haven't spoken to him since. Mm. You know, I speak to Andrew Parkinson once a week and that's about it. Mm. You know, the chairman chairs the board, the board sets strategy, the executive give us a plan on how they're going to implement that strategy and they report to us every six weeks on how things are going. Mm-hmm. So what I take responsibility for and credit for is leading Argyle to the place where we have that structure. Mm-hmm. But the structure now is the structure. <laughs> it doesn't need me. If I drop, de- If I drop dead tomorrow... We need, we absolutely have to have a club that is independent of any individual. Yeah. You know, there's a risk I won't be around next week. <laughs> so if I felt that, and I, I'm completely confident that the club will be fine. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. I mean, you're very modest and I take on board what you say. I'm not, I'm not no, no, completely. I'm not. I, I will take, I will take credit where I absolutely want the credit where it's due. Yeah. And I have led that board to keep its fingers out of the pies that they shouldn't have their fingers in. And, you know, we kind of built, well, I'm going to get myself lost in some silly metaphor, 
But we have been very, very good, and I will take the credit for that, of setting in place excellent corporate governance structures that mean that Argyle is a remarkably well-run organization. But day-to-day stuff, nah, nothing. I, yeah, I, 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 I totally understand what you're saying and acknowledge, and I, I get it. I yeah. get it. You're not running this show, but, but you still are Argyle chairman. But you have that fan side of you. And I guess my point is when you have those Schumacher departure days or the Burton days, how, I guess, especially the negative stuff, because then Ah. then then you've got a tendency to really lose your mind to an extent when you've poured so much work in professionally and so much of your emotional self into it. yeah, I was going to say, Archie, so the, the highs, the highs, you know, we've had some good times, Simon, the highs feel like you can enjoy it and consume it as a fan like yeah. anyone else. I feel the yeah. difference in the leadership is in the lows. So me and Archie yes, and I Mark think right. can, can, yes. can, and Chris can complain about the yeah. manager leaving, but the leadership requires somebody to, for the Correct. Pope to put his hat on at that point. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say, Tom. Yeah, the, uh, essentially... I, I mean, I love the highs. I mean, you know, there's <laughs> these videos that I just love of me going bonkers in the dressing room yeah. after the uh, Burton and Port Vale games. But w- w- when when the lows come, then the you know chairman kicks in. But uh, even as a fan, I think I'm much more level-headed than most fans. Right. I mean, especially when you've been on the inside for so long, you know that. Well, when you when you're as old as me, you know that so much in life is luck. And people attribute things to malice that are just luck or incompetence. There's so much randomness in life, and especially in football, that I've learned over the years to stay pretty calm when things things are going wrong. Right. I will. Um. I'll give you a call next time there's a crisis. <laughs> yeah. Feel free. Um, mo- moving things on slightly, we were speaking about it off air and on air. The situ, the, everything that went on in December with Schumacher leaving and taking the staff. That would have been a torpedo that would have sunk many a club in the EFL. Mm. Why were Argyle not sunk? Um, we, we've got you know t- two people who stepped into the breach magnificently mm-hmm. um, in you know Kevin Nanskville and Neil Jusnip. Um, we we've got a very experienced goalkeeping coach. So essentially, what we lost was uh, so so we we lost the manager obviously. So Neil Neil stepped in. Um, we lost the assistant manager. So Nance stepped in. Um, we lost Darren Betchett, the goalkeeping coach. So um, Reese Wilmot came back from the academy, mm. and he's obviously very experienced in the first team. So we had people around who were prepared to expand their roles on a temporary basis. And you know we've got a good squad who are kind of realistic about these kind of things. Uh, you know, a bunch of good people who recognise that the. the the club's well run and this too shall pass. Mm. I think, I mean, it never really felt like the kind of crisis that I was reading about on Twitter. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, honestly? On- no, no. Honestly, no. It just felt, oh, we'll, right. we'll, we'll sort this out. Right. And, you know, we haven't even sorted it out. You know, we sorted out, you know, we we, we could have, we, we had so many applicants for the job. We'd already started work on identifying successors. I mean, our basic goal is to have a successor or two for every major position in the club. And we're not, we're not there yet, but we'd started work on identifying Shuey's successor. And actually when I had a pint with Shuey, I said, you're going to have to help us, you know, (laughs) identify who your successor is. I'm Um, guessing he didn't. He laughed. He laughed, (laughs) (laughs) but didn't. Um, 
but but we essentially what we've been doing was using our data team to identify you know again we we've, we've been very explicit about this that we want that an argyle way of playing football there'll be various little bits of differences between managers but essentially we're going to be playing you know on the ground vertical football with an emphasis on attack mm-hmm. um so using data we identified you know 10 or 12 people who seemed pretty consistently to play the same kind of football that we wanted to play. So that was our shortlist. You know, you then start making a few calls to check on their personalities and you end up with a very short list. And then we interviewed them. Simon, I was going to, I was going to read back one of your quotes to you, building institutional capabilities as a business to withstand periods of underperformance is something you've talked about in your investment world. Yeah. Being crucial. Yeah, exactly. Now all, the last five minutes of what you've been saying to me, sounds like that. I wanted to say at the beginning of that, <laughs> but we've, we've had the answer and then the question. Um, yeah. So, the, you know, there's the concept of fragility and um, essentially when challenged, fragile organizations break. When challenged, robust organizations withstand the pressures. There's a concept that some a guy called Talib has written about called anti-fragility, which is where when you're challenged, you emerge stronger. And I think that, you know, what we've tried to do at Argyle is to be anti-fragile, that, you know, if we are challenged, we'll sort things out and emerge stronger. Mm. And I think, I do actually think that that's happened in in the last uh, six weeks or so. You know, the playing squad is stronger. Arguably, we've got, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to make silly comparisons, but I think Fozzie is very, you know, he's on the path to being a great manager in the same way that Stephen was on the path to being a great manager. Uh, would you say... I'd really, I'd love to get into Ian Foster in greater detail soon. Would you say that that challenge that you faced and what well, Argyle, the Argyle hierarchy board organisation faced in December, was that the greatest challenge that they've had since you've been there? Uh, because we said it on the pod, we said it on the pod a lot. I'll be honest, we often yeah, said this is this is yeah. Simon's greatest challenge thus far. No, no, I don't think it's been our greatest challenge so far. That's, that's interesting, the perception, isn't it? Because my thinking, yeah. Simon, is that most of the football fans, even though in your time the club's outward comms on what the inside of a football club, the back office, is doing is yeah. really strong, Yeah, 95% yeah. of your audience see the, the people who are on the pitch yeah. and who stood at the side of the pitch during the game. So, But look, I, I'm, you've, well, you've invested in companies however many years old listed and they change yeah. they change their people all the time they change their people all the time i mean i do th- i think that there's a, such a thing as a culture that's you know you can have strong cultures and cu- strong cultures help you withstand times of challenge i think the time of biggest challenge was when was actually the you know when argyle green we, we had the issues with argyle green um you know over over a year ago and you know, they, they then split and left just Nick and his partners, Nick Giannotti and his partners um, remaining. That, that that was very challenging because it required, you know, new financing, very considerable new financing that I hadn't expected. So it required negotiations with my wife, which are always challenging. Um, and it was particularly challenging because the club, uh, Andrew and the team at the club, had to act in the best interests of the club, quite rightly, and not in the best interests of necessarily as me as shareholders. So that that, that was pretty challenging. That um, you know, who, who who's acting for me? Hmm. So you know, I had to hire my own lawyers and all that kind of stuff, which I hate on principle. That that was a very challenging time. Well, that's incredible because that's not 
It's definitely not something we would say as kind of average football fans. That doesn't jump off the page no. No. from the outside looking but, in. But it, that difference of opinion that we had, difference of strategic direction, was um, it was, was completely out of the blue. Mm. And we didn't, we didn't have a plan for dealing with it. So, you know, that really was, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Mm. As opposed to, you know, the manager leaves, we have a process for getting a new one. So, yeah, get the process going. Off you go. <laughs> and, you know, I think the fact that we've done pretty well over the last six, seven weeks now since Shuey left and the others left, um, I think Fozzie will want to hire an assistant manager, but I think he's going to make sure that he takes his time and hires the right one. Uh, you know, meanwhile, meanwhile, Neil Jusnip's having fun prancing around on the touchline, pretending that he's the assistant manager. <laughs> so he, he's having a lovely time. Just before we wrap up for a, a wee break, have have you taken stock of what's actually of what's happened in the last well since Rotherham? Like, have you? Because for us, trying to do a podcast, it's been, I mean, I'll be honest, it's been kind of gold. That you know, <laughs> content, yeah, content, 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 content galore. Yeah. But for you, I think, <laughs> I think we worked out at one point, there was a departure of the club at every, every 2.5 days or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Have you, and Jane or you know, your colleagues at Argyle, have you now think the dust has settled a bit? Have you had a chance to have a drink and think, bloody hell, what have we just been through? Uh, no, we haven't really. Um you know, part of the trouble with a football club is that it's always full on and you very rarely get that chance. And especially when I'm, you know, not there, mm. um, you know, I, I mean, funnily, but funnily enough, I have been doing that just kind of that this week, you know, so I've had a, I've had my kind of regular chat with Andrew, but I've also had a chat with um, Neil Jusnip, just, you know, how's it going? Mm. Um, but interestingly, none of those chats were kind of, what was all that about? It was, where are we? What 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 does the future look look like? No, nobody seems particularly interested. I'm glad to say in spending time dwelling on what happened between you know mid December and early January. That's it for part one. Thanks for listening to the Pilgrims podcast. In part two, Simon tells us more about why Ian Foster was successful in his interview to become Argyle's next head coach as well as a host of other subjects, including his ambitions for Argyle for the future, and also that of Argyle's number 10, Morgan Whitaker. Follow us on X for news of when that part two will drop, or set the push notifications on wherever you get your podcasts.